The Your Mark on the World show is made possible by our sponsors, including ACLA Impact, Seed Equity Ventures, and Clean Energy Advisors. Welcome to Your Mark on the World, bringing you another changemaker with champion of social good, Devin D. Thorpe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the UR Mark on the World Show. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe, and our guest today is Todd Sylvester, who is the founder of Todd Sylvester Inspires. Todd, welcome to the show. Thank you, Devin. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Well, we're thrilled to have you. You've, you've been through some challenges in your life, and you've come out on top, and you've been sharing the wisdom you've gained from those experiences with others to great effect. And, and I'm excited to hear about your insights, your wisdom, but I want to start with your story. Okay. Tell us a little bit, if you would, Todd, about the dark days. Absolutely. So it you know, really started when I was, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Um, I tried marijuana and alcohol for the first time. And I learned at a very young age, I had this all or nothing mentality and I fell in love with it. I really did. And as soon as I tried it, I said to myself, I'm going to do this every single day of my life. And, and it just kind of started from there. Um, I was really big into sports. My dad had me playing all sports growing up. And in eighth grade is when I decided basketball was the sport for me. And so I put all the other sports aside and I focused a hundred percent on basketball in eighth grade. And I, and I started practicing two hours a day and I did not miss, I was obsessed. And again, that all or nothing mentality, but as that continued, um, you know, the, the drinking and the smoking, you know, smoking pot and doing other things started to increase and go as well. And um, I had a, and this led into high school. Um, I had a very good, you know, high school basketball career, you could say. Um, when I was a sophomore, I was a starting point guard. We ended up taking first in state. My junior year, we took second in state. I led the team in every category. Senior year, I got voted team captain with two other guys, and we took first in state again. But my senior year is when things really started to catch up with me. Um, I recognized this voice in my head that was telling me that I was no good, that I was broken, I was damaged, I looked funny no one liked me and so on and so forth. And it became very, very loud. And I I was really depressed my senior year. Um, I actually started having suicidal thoughts. And, you know, at this point, uh, I wasn't just drinking and smoking pot. I was doing other drugs. You know, I was doing cocaine and speed and Robitussin cough syrup. And, you know, again, that all or nothing mentality. When I was at a party, I wanted to be the one guy that did the craziest thing. Um, because that's what was feeding my ego. And that's where I felt I was getting accepted from my friends. And because without that, when I was sober and clean for brief periods, I felt worthless and broken. Um, And this continued throughout my senior year. And like I said, we ended up taking state my senior year. The final game, I played the best game the entire season, that game. And a week later, I got offered a full ride scholarship. And when that happened, I was so excited. I had two months left my senior year. And this is when things got really bad, though, because I thought, okay, got the scholarship and I'm going to live it up now. And the partying just got out of hand. And one particular one I want to mention, because this will kind of give the listeners and the 
uh, an idea of where my head was and my, my mental state. Um, we were at this party and everyone was there I and mean, it was crowded. There was girls there and, you know, and everyone's trying to, you know, you know, try to feel accepted and that kind of thing. And well, we pulled out a beer bong and if you don't know what that is, it's a funnel with a two foot tube taped to the end of this funnel and the, the tube is about an inch in diameter. And what it allows you to do is you, you pour a beer in there and you lift it up over your head and it shoots the beer down your throat in a second. And so we got in this big circle and everyone's trying to one up everybody. You know, this person's going to do one beer. This person tries two, three, and it was just going. And I thought, okay, when it gets to me, I'm going to blow everyone away. And when it got to me, I opened a brand new fifth of vodka and I dumped it in there. And, you know, everyone was saying, don't do that, don't. And I didn't even hesitate. I lifted it up and I drank a fifth in two seconds. And I didn't know it then, but my blood alcohol level would have been 0.51. Lethal's around 0.42. Yeah. Um, I weighed 140 pounds. I was a really skinny kid. And, um, and that's the last thing I remember. I woke up the next evening with one of my friends kind of shaking me awake and it was such a pathetic scene. I had blood from head to toe. I was covered in blood. I was puking blood for the last 24 hours. And I'm laying there holding a toilet seat. I mean, just a pathetic scene. And, you know, and again, my friends were saying, you are the craziest dude I have ever seen. You know, you got to, you know, slow it down. But that was feeding my ego. I thought, oh, yeah, look how cool my friends think I am. And I know it sounds ridiculous when I say it out loud, but that's what was going on. And so that didn't slow me down. I continued partying like that until um, I started practicing with the team I got the scholarship with over the summer. And about two weeks into that practice, um, the coach pulled me into his office, sits me down on the couch. And all he said to me is, what's going on? And when he said that, I knew I was in trouble because I hadn't been practicing like I normally did. I mentally, spiritually, physically, I was a wreck. I was still having suicidal thoughts. I felt broken and damaged. And that voice, I mean, that voice was like, you are pathetic. And I just believed it. And so when he said that, I just said, I know I'm not playing well. I'll try harder. I will, I'll give a better effort. And he said, you know, this is the big boy leagues and you've had your chance and I'm giving your scholarship to someone who wants it more than you. And I literally got on my knees in that office and I begged him, please give me another chance. And he says, I'm sorry, it's too late. And when that happened, my first thought was, how am I going to tell my dad? I mean, that was my first thought. I thought, man, he's going to be so disappointed. Um, And then my second thought was, how am I going to tell everybody? Because they all knew I was getting this scholarship. Now I'm going to tell them I don't have it anymore. And I became this depressed, angry drunk, you know, drug addict, drunk. And, and so every time I got high or wasted, I would, I would see when you drink, it becomes like this, you know, magnifying what you're really feeling inside. And I was hurt. And so when I would drink and get drunk, it just came out and I would punch holes in the wall. I put my head through the wall one time, you know, several times I threw a chair through a plate glass window for no reason. And I I was just miserable. And I was just thinking, you know what, I'd rather be dead. And that voice was saying, yeah, kill yourself. You're worthless. Look who, who blows it like you did, who blows the scholarship. And so 
I ended up trying out at a few other colleges and I got cut from every single one of them. And then I found myself um, living with five other guys and it was just this big party house. And that's all we did was party. And I was just this miserable wreck. And so that's kind of what, how things kind of led up to the point where I remember for some reason, I remember this so clearly it was a Thursday and I remember sitting in that house. And by the way, this house was nasty. Like it was, we would throw beer, bill, uh, excuse me, beer bottles against the, the, this big brick wall we had in the basement, let it, you know, it just shatter and we just let it sit there. I mean, people urinating in the corner of the house. I mean, we didn't clean it. It was just nasty. And the reason why I mentioned that to you, Devin, is because that was a, that outward, you know, just the way that looked really was a, a mirroring the inner nastiness that was going on inside of me. I mean, it just was a, it was mirroring my life really. And it was a Thursday. And I remember saying to myself, basketball is over. It's done. And that's when I decided I was going to take my life and I planned my suicide. Wow. It's just hard for all of us to hear that story and to feel your pain. Even today, mm-hmm. your pain is, is raw. Mm-hmm. And we, we feel that. Uh, so you're in that place. It was so dark. Uh, tell us how you started out of that. Tell us about the process okay. of recovering from that abyss. Yeah. Well, so that was a Thursday, like I said, and um, I was going to go home over the weekend, which I usually did because at the time I was a bartender on the weekends, which is not good for an alcoholic, by the way, but I thought it was good because I you know, got all the free booze I wanted. <laughs> um, but I was going to go home over the weekend. Um, uh, my dad had a shotgun in his closet. I knew where the shells were and I was going to go take that gun, go in my backyard and take my life. And that was on a Thursday. So Friday came and um, I was on my way to, I was on my way heading home, going to go do what I was going to go do. And for some reason I decided to stop at the school that I wasn't, I was going there just to hang out. I wasn't going to class and I had a bunch of party friends that were going to that school as well. And we would sit in the lunchroom and just kind of socialize. And I, for whatever reason, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go there first and then I'm going home. So I went there. There's my friend sitting at this table and I sat down. And as I'm sitting there, I'm just in my own head thinking about what I'm going to go do. And everyone's in their own conversations. And there was these two religious girls sitting right next to me. And for whatever reason, these two girls would always sit by us all the time. And I would just rip on these girls for being religious and for being good. And, you know, and they would just, you know, hear me and just let it roll off their backs and smile. And anyway, this particular moment, I'm sitting there. I overhear these two girls talking about fasting and prayer. And for some reason, the word fasting just hit me right in the heart. It just pierced my heart. I was like, and I just thought, what is it? I really didn't know what it meant. I'm thinking fasting and prayer. What does that even mean? And it just struck my curiosity. And so I didn't want to say anything with everyone at the table. So I waited till everyone got up. And as everyone got up to, to leave, I pulled these two girls aside and I said, hey, can I ask you a question? And they said, sure. And I said, were you just talking about, you said fasting and prayer? 
And, you know, they kind of get this smile like, yeah, why do you want to know? You know, they're probably thinking I'm going to, you know, maybe, you know, criticize them or something. And, and I says, no, I'm being serious. I really, I, I don't know what that is. And it just, I'm curious. And so they went on to explain, they said, in our religion, we, we fast once a month. We start with a prayer. We go the entire day without food or water. And then we end with a prayer. And as they're explaining this to me in my head, I'm going, what is the point of this? It makes no sense to me, you know? And so I asked the girls, I said, what's the point? And one of the girls just looked me right in the eyes and said, if you want help from God. And that just nailed me again because I had never thought of God. You know, I wasn't raised religious at all. I didn't, I did not not believe in a God, but I didn't believe in one either. I just, we never talked about that kind of stuff growing up. Um, I had a very loving home. My parents absolutely loved me and I felt safe there. But we, you know, this is some of the stuff we didn't talk about. So when she said that, I'm thinking, is there a God and would he help kind of thing, you know? And as they walked away, I just told them, thanks. They walked away. I said to myself, I'm going to give this a try. What I, this, it was like this sliver of hope. And because I thought I have nowhere to turn. I did. I was afraid to tell my parents all my friends partied. I just felt alone. And so I thought, <clears throat> I'm going to try this. And so I stayed, I didn't go to work. I called in sick. I stayed down where I was living in that, that nasty house I mentioned. And I stayed there for the weekend. And so Saturday comes and I decide to do this. And so I don't want my friends to see me. So I go into this closet. I mean, it's just tight little <laughs> clothes everywhere. It's just dirty. I close this door and I get on my knees and I just said, God, if you're there, I need help. That's all I said. I just looked up to the heavens, God, if you're there, I need help. And then I went the entire day. And when I say the entire day, I think I made it till like one o'clock <laughs> without eating or drinking. And it was the first time that I hadn't drank or smoked pot or done drugs in that period of time. And I was angry. I mean, I was struggling. I was like, this is, I had that voice was really loud saying, this is a waste of time. Nothing's going to happen. And, you know, I, I was just this angry. Even my friends were going, what's wrong? I'm like, nothing, leave me alone. One o'clock comes, I think, you know, give or take, a, you know, a few, you know, 10, 15 minutes here or there. I went back into this closet because the girl said, end with a prayer. And so that's what I did. I went back into this closet, closed the door. And uh, I just said, God, if you're there, I did this fast. Um, I need help. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I was really naive about the whole process. And so I sat there and waited. I thought if God's real, he's going to show up right now. <laughs> and uh, I sat there. It felt like forever, but I probably waited there two or three minutes. And I thought, you know, if God's real, he'll show up. And nothing happened. I became, and I actually was really disappointed. You know, the girls didn't tell me, hey, you know, it might take time to get an answer. or it, They come in ways that you might not expect and that kind of thing. And so I ended up getting drunk that night. And again, very depressed. Um, it kept me from taking my life, but I had this, I had this, you know, I was going back and forth in my head, take your life, don't take your life. I mean, it was just this back and forth battle. And so anyway, this went on for about a month. And then I get a phone call from a friend of mine. His name was Rich, who I played basketball with at Brighton. He had, he had, uh, he had served a mission. Um, he had since 
got home. Um, he was now married. He was living down by where I was actually living. And to this day, I still don't know how he got my number. This was before cell phones and, you know, texting and all that. And I get a call at this house and it's, it's rich. And he's like, Hey, Todd, it's rich. And, you know, I hadn't talked to him since high school. And he said, where are you at? I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm down here. Um, and he goes, I, you know, Hey, I'm right by you. Uh, why don't you come on over and let's catch up. Would you want, would you be willing to do that? I said, sure. You know, and I'm thinking, this is weird though. You know, <laughs> haven't talked to you, but yeah, I'll come over. And so I go over to his apartment and I get there, he opens the door. He's got this real serious look on his face. And, and I mentioned that because this guy's a goofball, you know, bubbly fun messing around. And he just seems so serious. And I thought, is everything okay? And he's like, no, everything's fine. Come on in. And we sit down and as we sit down, we just start kind of doing weather talk, you know, kind of catching up. Hey, how's things going? And that kind of thing. And, and then all of a sudden he starts saying all these good things about me. You're such a good guy, Todd. You're going to help so many people in your life. You're going to help kids. And he just kept saying, you're going to help all these people. And it was the weirdest thing. And it felt so uncomfortable because he had no idea how I was living my life. Because it wasn't just the drugs and the alcohol that I was abusing. It was the lying, the cheating, the stealing, the abuse that I was putting myself through and other people because of that. And and I'm just going, why are you saying this in my head? You know, and I just, and I finally stopped him. I said, Rich, you know, stop that. Um, I don't know why you're saying this, but I'm a mess right now. And you don't, you don't have a clue. Like, why are you saying this? You know? And he said, well, he goes, I didn't go to work today or school because I want to share something with you. I have a message to share with you. And I'm thinking, Oh, are you okay? You know? And he's like, yeah. And he, I can tell he's kind of struggling, a little nervous to tell me something. And he takes his big, deep breath. And he just looks me right in the eye and says, you know, uh, the Lord came to me last night and says, we need Todd on our side today. And when he said that, Devin, my mind rewound back to that moment I was on my knees saying, God, if you're there, please send help. And so I tell Rich, hey, I, I fasted for help about a month ago. And he points right in my face and says, this is your help. And when he said that, I felt this, the only way I can describe it, I didn't know it then, but I can say it now because now that I've processed through it, I felt God's love and his presence. I really did. It was like this from head to toe. And I'll be completely honest, Devin, it actually scared me. It felt so good. I wasn't used to that. I mean, I hated who I was. I was dark. I was broken. And that voice was telling me I was worthless. And so when I felt that, it, as good as it felt, it really scared me. And so anyway, so that's kind of, that kind of opened up the door to what happened next, which I, if we have time, I want to share this part too, because this next part is one of the most critical parts of my recovery. So, well, this clearly was a catalyst. This uh, religious experience was a, a, a catalyst for you, but that clearly was a beginning and not an end. It, cool. Tell us the rest of the story. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, uh, so I started meeting with um, a spiritual leader at that point uh, who Rich lined me up with, and I started meeting with this guy, and the very first time I met with him, I was scared to death. You know, because Rich, my friend, had lined that up, and he basically said, "You got to promise me you're going to show up to this." And I asked him, "Why do I need to go see this guy?" Right? You know, I'm like, 
he's like, just tell him everything you've been doing. And I'm like, there's no way I can tell a complete stranger all this horrible stuff that I've been doing. He's and, and Rich is one of those guys that'll get in your face and make you commit. And he goes, you've got to promise me you'll show up. I says, okay, I'll show up. And he had set it up for the following day. So the next day I pull into this church parking lot and I see one car there and I'm thinking, Oh, there's that guy's car. And I literally pulled, I, I do a U-turn going, I can't do this. I mean, my heart's pounding. And I remember Rich in my face saying, you got to promise me you'll show up. So I decided, okay, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to take five minutes and I'm out of there. That's kind of what, what my thinking was. And so I go into this guy's office and I sit down and he's just smiling and he just tells me, tell me what's been going on. And that's all he says. And then he shuts up and I'm just sitting there going like this awkward silence. Right. <laughs> and so I kind of tell him what had happened with my experience with Rich. That's kind of why I'm here. And, and then I was a little nervous at first, but as I started to share, it just, I mean, I just ended up kind of throwing up on this guy. I just told him everything. And I spent three hours in this guy's office and I unloaded, I told him everything. Um, and I'm sitting there thinking, this guy is going to throw me out of his office. He's got to be thinking I'm this horrible person, you know? And he said, no, he's, you know, when we got done, he goes, thank you so much for sharing that. And he goes, I have, I have four things I want you to work on. And I want you to, I want to, I want the listeners to keep in mind, this was back before there was a treatment center on every corner. There weren't treatment centers back then. There wasn't things like that, that we could, you know, go participate in. And so this guy was like, here, I want to help you. And here's how I'm going to do it. And so he says, I have four things I want you to do. And he says, okay, do you think you could say one prayer a day? Like you did when you were in that closet? And I'm thinking, yeah, I can probably do that. And then he hands me um, these set of scriptures. He hands them to me. He goes, have you ever read these before? I said, no. And he goes, do you think you could read one verse a day? Is that, you know, something you'd be willing to try? I says, yeah, I can do that. He goes, I don't care if you understand it. Just give it a try. And I said, okay, I'll do that. And then he said, the third thing is, I, he said, I need you to be honest with me. And I said, okay, um, I can do that. But what do you mean? He goes, I want to meet with you. And when I meet with you, I, I need you to be completely honest. If you use during the week, if you, if you still, or if you cheat, or if you hurt someone or whatever, I need to know that. And I'm thinking, great. Yeah, I could, I could probably do that. And then the fourth thing was, he said, I want to meet with you every week for a year. And I'm thinking, there's no way I can do that. <laughs> and, and he goes, he goes, I understand, but he goes, we'll take it a week at a time. But that's, that's what I want to do with you. And I said, okay, um, I think I can, I can try that. And, you know, he really taught me a very powerful lesson on honesty. And I just want to make a little, uh, little sidebar here. I, I, I started meeting with him every single week and I was honest with him. I told him everything and he taught me how powerful honesty is. And I do this with my clients to this very day. I tell my clients that if they're honest with themselves, they will never relapse because you take this good person over here and over here is the drug world or, you know, this negative behavior. And how do you, how do you bridge the gap from being this good person coming over here? And how you do that is a justification or a thinking error, or in other words, it's a lie. You have to lie to come over here. And so 
It's a bold promise that I give my clients, but that's what I learned. And I, so I started meeting this guy every week and every week. Yep. I used every single day. I got drunk every day. Um, I did this, I did this. And this went on for eight months. And on about the eighth month mark, I was able to sit in front of him and say, I made it three days clean this week. And it was a, it was a, it was a big monumental step for me. Um, but I'll be honest with you, Devin, I had that voice still in my head saying, you can't do this. It's too hard. Um, and I really had these cravings and these thoughts of, I just want to keep drinking and using because I felt comfortable. Even though it was miserable, it felt comfortable. Well, I told you I was a bartender and I was still tending bar. And as a bartender, I'd get tips from the waiters and waitresses. And then anyone that would sit at the bar, I'd get their you know change from them. And so I... I would get a lot of change. So I'd keep this change in my cup holders in my car. And about this eight month mark, um, it was a Saturday. It was a beautiful day. Sun was shining. And um, at the time I was living with my parents, I was back home and I was, I was driving up uh, Newcastle, this road called Newcastle, this big windy road. And as I'm driving up this road out of the corner of my eye, I see this cute little girl selling lemonade. No big deal. I drive right past it. And as I drive past it, I have this impression to turn around. And it says, turn around and give her all the money in your car. And I thought, wow, that will be really cool. So I flip a Yui and I, I pull up to this little cute little girl at her, you know, you know, makeshift lemonade stand. And I rolled my window down and said, how much for a cup? And I, I think she said 25 cents. And I says, I'll take one. So she pours it hands it to me. I set it on my dashboard and I said, okay, hold your hands out like this. And, and, and I just start scooping all this change that I've been keeping up. I don't know how, I mean, I thought it was like $40 worth of quarters, nickels and dimes. And, and I'm just dumping it in her hands. And she's literally like, thank you so much, you know, and, and it's spilling over. And I said, hold on. And I mean, it takes me like eight scoops to finally get all the change to her. And then she just takes off running up into her house. And I'm thinking she's going to go tell her parents, she just got a million dollars. Right. (laughs) And so as I drive away though, Devin, I, I literally just start to bawl my eyes out so much. So I had to pull my car over and it still chokes me up today because it's such a powerful experience that I had. Um, And I just start to cry. Like I've never cried before in my life. I call it a cleansing cry because that's what it felt like. It felt like it was cleansing my soul because in that moment, Devin, I felt like I mattered and I actually liked who I was. And so, and I'm sitting there and I'm crying going, you know what? This is the most intense high that I have ever experienced. Higher than any drug binge I've ever been on, any alcohol that ever did for me. I mean, it didn't even compare And so that all or nothing mentality kicks in, Devin. And I say, if she's there next Saturday, I'm giving her all my money. So next Saturday comes and on purpose, I drive by the same spot. And sure enough, there she is. And I pull up and she recognizes me again and her eyes get all big. And she's like, yes, you know, and I roll my window down. I'll take another. And I, so I give her like $5 and quarters. And then the next week I do it again. I give her $10 and quarters. And then I give her you know, 15 and quarters. And this goes on for about two months. And I do this every Saturday. And every time I pull up, she's just like, wow, you know, 
But what every time though, as I pulled away, I would start to cry my eyes out again. And again, I felt like I mattered. And one of my favorite quotes, Devin, is by a guy named Ferdinand Foch. And he says the most powerful the most powerful weapon on earth is the human soul on fire. And I'll tell you what, every time I did this, it lit my soul on fire. And for the first time that I could ever remember, I felt like I mattered. Because see, when you're an addict, you become very selfish. I didn't care about anybody. I'm going to lie, cheat, steal from you, Devin, just so I can get high. I didn't care about you. But for the first time, I made someone's day. This girl thought I was like this, um, you know, she probably thought I was a millionaire, <laughs> you know, and, but she had no clue what was going on with me as I'm doing this. And so, and I'm coming up to the, 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 really the, the moment where everything changed for me, Devin. So I decide I'm going to go to church. I, I hadn't been going at all. I've never been. I thought I'm going to give it a try for whatever reason. I just, I'm trying to still connect spiritually to God and find him. And I just, I I just felt like I'm going to go give this a try. And so I go to church and I'm by myself. I'm sitting in the back corner and I'm just kind of looking around the room, seeing who's in the congregation. And I look over on the other side of the room and there's that little lemonade girl with her mom. And they're pointing at me going, there's the guy, you know, and they're waving. And I'm like, I'm waving back. And I'm just like, my heart starts pounding. I'm like, whoa, you know? And so when the services were over, they come walking up over towards me and the mom's just crying and she hugs me and she gets up in my ear and she says, Todd, thank you so much for what you've done for my daughter. You have, you, you don't even know what you've done for her. And I, I tell her, you have no idea what this has done for me. And then the mom says, you know, she was saving for a trampoline. You put her over the top. She got her trampoline and she thinks you like walk on water, you know. And then they said, we have a favor to ask you. And I said, okay. And she said, well, on Wednesday, there's a daddy-daughter date. And she would like you to go as her date. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. And here she is, this cute little fourth grader looking up at me. I'm like, how can I say no, right? I'm like, sure. But I'm like... I, what about her dad, you know, and she's like, well, you know, I'm divorced and, you know, her dad's not a part of her life and she really wants to go. Would you be willing to take her? I mean, I don't even know her. <laughs> and so anyway, so I said, sure. So I pick her up on Wednesday and it's up in the canyons. It's another beautiful day. And I'll tell you when I pick her up, I feel like I'm going on this first date. My heart's pounding. I'm like, I don't even know her. Right. I've given her some money, but that's it. And so we're driving up and she's just this cute little fourth grader sitting in my front seat. And I'm like, you know, that awkward silence, you know, you know, so, Hey, how was recess today? You know, I'm asking her questions like that, you know? And anyway, we get up to this um, picnic up in the canyons and we get up there and all these dads are with their daughters, right? I don't know anybody. I'm filling out a place, barely know her. And we're just sitting there and we're starting to play some games. And then one of the games was, how well do you know your dad? How well do you know your daughter? And I look at her and I go, I'm sorry, because we don't know each other, right? And she, she says, let's just guess. And I'm like, okay, let's give it, let's do that. You know, it's kind of like, you know, favorite color, favorite food, those kind of things. I kid you not, Devin, 
we almost get every answer correct. And we're like high-fiving each other. And everyone there knows that I'm not our dad and they know the situation. They're all just blown away. And I start having this bond with this girl. Well, so to close this up, this is where everything just comes together. So they gather everyone in to bless the food, which is totally foreign to me. I'm thinking, bless the food. I mean, we're having hot dogs and Kool-Aid, right? And I'm thinking, is there something wrong with the hot dogs that we have to bless it? You know, <laughs> it was just so foreign to me. And anyway, so I'm kind of watching what everyone's doing. Oh, you fold your arms, you bow your head kind of thing. And But I kid you not, Devin, this guy just says this really simple prayer to bless the food. That's it. But I hear God's voice say, Todd, I am so proud of you. You're in the right place and you've made an impact on this girl's life that she'll never, ever forget. And I am so proud of you and I love you. And I feel this, Devin, from head to toe and I just start to bawl my eyes out. Because see, I'm used to being at bars and waking up passed out with throw up all over me and being miserable and all this. And here I am with this pure, innocent little girl and we're having hot dogs and Kool-Aid. And so when the prayer's over, I'm bawling and everyone's looking at me going, dude, relax. It's just hot dogs and Kool-Aid, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm so sorry. These are happy tears. That's when I said, I'm done using I am not doing this anymore. And I want to help kids just like her the rest of my life. And so from that point forward is when the the blessings in God and the universe just opened up and said, here you go. And I'll tell you what, it, I, I started doing a drug-free program in elementary schools. From that very moment, I created a program. It was called Sly Dog Drug-Free, That's Me. I spoke to over 100,000 kids in five years. I started doing motivational speaking events, speaking at churches and, and youth groups and scouts and you name it, you know, corporations. And it just started to build and build and build. And at the same time, I would have parents come up to me and say, hey, will you help my son or will you help my daughter? So I started doing these one-on-one -on -one sessions. I didn't consider myself a mentor or, you know, life coach or a counselor, but that's what I was doing. And that just started to snowball. And all this has led up to where I'm sitting here right now, Devin. I've been clean and sober 27 years. I've been life coaching for almost 20. I have done over 6,000 one-on-one sessions with my clients now. Um, I get to go around and share my story. I get to speak. I get to do some amazing things. And all through this process, you know, because of that moment and those moments that I've, you know, expressed and talked about. And, and so I haven't looked back. I'm, wow. clean, I'm clean and sober. <laughs> Amazing story, Todd. Amazing story. Well, listen, uh, Todd, we, we've gone way over oh. <laughs> our time. Oh. You, you've shared an incredible story and we wanted to hear it. And I'm glad we did. Uh, before you go though, tell us how people can get in touch with you and learn more about the great work you're doing. You bet. So I have a website. Uh, it's toddsylvesterinspires.com. You can go there. It has a ton of information on what I do and what my program's all about. Um, my Instagram and Twitter handle is tsinspires. You can get a ton of information there as well. Um, I also have a book on Amazon called It's Time to Start Living. Um, you can go download that. It kind of talks about my program and 
It's a very unique program. Um, and I'm also very open to someone can text me directly on my business phone, which is 801-870-4412. Fantastic. Well, Todd, thank you so much for being here with us today. We wish you every success in continuing to share your message and helping other people overcome the challenges you've overcome. Absolutely. It's been a blessing to be here. Thanks so much, Devin. I appreciate it. All righty. Let's do some good. At the intersection of financial services and social media, Gate Global Impact, GGI, uses new market infrastructure to facilitate investments in organizations that deliver a societal, environmental, and or a cause-related benefit in addition to a financial return. Seed Equity Ventures is a registered broker-dealer with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission and a member of both FINRA and SIPC providing investment banking services to startups globally. Seed Equity's mission is to find the best and brightest entrepreneurs and connect them with global investors. Clean Energy Advisors creates investment opportunities in the renewable energy sector that provide clients with predictable income, preservation of capital, and positive impact. Clean Energy Advisors is committed to providing clients with investment opportunities with both market rates of return and measurable impact. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded via Google Hangouts on Air and is available at youtube.com forward slash Devonthorpe. Subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher or iTunes by searching for Your Mark on the World. Every weekday, Devon hosts a CEO, celebrity, entrepreneur or other changemaker here on the Your Mark on the World show to inspire and prepare you to make your mark. Devon is a champion of social good, writing about, advocating for and advising people who are doing good. He is a Forbes contributor who is a recognized thought leader in social entrepreneurship, impact investing, and crowdfunding. To book Devin as a speaker, visit devinthorpe.com. Learn more about Devin's work at yourmarkontheworld.com.